Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, CCLVI. Let's Talk Low Vision is a monthly podcast which includes guest speakers, resources, and special topics related to adjusting to low vision. We invite you to visit our webpage and episode archives at cclvi.org. And when you visit that site, you'll find a link to the Let's Talk Low Vision pages. You may listen right there and read the show notes, which include links to resources mentioned in each episode. We have great news for you. This show is now also available on Alexa, Echo, and Google Home devices. Check the webpage for details on how to listen. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision. We are here on this lovely May evening talking with our longtime friend, Richard Rueda, who has probably more travel experience than the rest of us put together. Everything from three, four, five-star hotels through three, four, five-level rafting levels. That's canoeing, tonight, all kinds of things. But tonight, we're going to talk about traveling with low vision and learn some tips and tricks and experience from Richard. So good evening, Rich. Hi, thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you and everybody. Well, and then Richard now works for American Printing House. You're the, let me see if I have it right, the digital content coordinator? Manager. Manager. Good enough. You, for their Connect Center. Center. And you want to give us a, just a little bit of what that's about as well? Yeah. So uh, the elevator pitch is the APH Connect Center evolved in 2018 from AFB when AFB held Vision Aware, which our friend Katie Frederick organizes, and Chris Rogers, longtime person in the blindness community, Family Connect and Career Connect, as well as the directory of services that we finally know that's been over 100 years old, a directory of all the blindness agencies in the United States. So APH inherited that uh, from AFB. And we've been running the Connect Center for, we're going on year four. In fact, I believe it was May of 2018 when it happened. And so um, I've been on board for a year and a half now, and I'm loving it. I love Career Connect, having a rehabilitation background and employment. It's, it's a really cool position. So I'm based in Sacramento. Position is remote, and we get to travel a lot. And I mean a lot. You know, you were traveling a lot before, I think, APH as well. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on some of your thoughts. Have you done much travel? Why don't we, maybe we ought to try it by different modes, I think, maybe. What have you found? Do you have much experience, for instance, with travel agents back in the day or with online booking and what's easy, more accessible and what isn't? Well, let me, before I do that, Terry, let me give you okay. a story that involves you uh, and, and involves one's confidence in traveling because when we're out there and we've either been blind or low vision all our lives and we haven't been exposed to the world of travel and getting around, it can be daunting. It can be scary. And I want to talk to that from an angle. Or if we've lost vision later in life, have been car centric. So we've been reliant on our cars and 
I've never taken a public bus. Some people are saying paratransit. What's that? So I want to talk from that angle. And at the ripe age of 26, I fell into an internship with the ACB national office when you were working there in 2000. And I got, I got the position and I went to DC, didn't know what the hell I was doing, but you all put me up at Georgetown across town, what, about two miles from the national office, would you say? At least, at least. (laughs) And you're like, there's the bus. And here's Janice, your, your colleague, you guys figure it out. And you did. And you, we got, we got some O&M training, but I, had been a amateur travel at the time, a person with low vision. In fact, I, I was a high partial then. This is 22 years ago this summer. And I was using a cane sparingly. I wore those big, thick bifocals. I had a blast, but I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was not as confident as I probably interviewed for my internship because I was a little apprehensive about the actual getting around. But once I, I did research and I got online and learned about the metro and the buses, and occasionally I would walk from the national office to Georgetown. And, and a lot that experience right there built my confidence. Yeah. One of many experiences, but that was probably a, a turning point in my adult, young adult life, getting out there and getting immersed into the world of of work, punctuality, and having a lot of fun. You know, I think you you brought out a great point right there in that your appearance to other people, your sense of security Mm -hmm. to other people, I think, do you think maybe has a lot to do with how successful you can be at traveling with low vision. I never would have guessed at that time you were at all apprehensive about the travel. If you show an air of fear or insecurity. I think, you know, that comes across loud and clear to anyone else around. If you exude your a sense of competence, mm-hmm. people are much, much less fearful and more open. To, you have to fake to it until you make it. And, and when I w- I'll, I'll back up and tell you one real quick story. When I was 16 and I grew up in Southern California, so I was exposed to culture and mass transit, not like you see in New York or San Francisco with the subways, but I was exposed to mass transit in Southern California by living close to bus lines. And one day I took the bus home from wherever I was and I missed my stop and I missed my stop. And 20 minutes later, I'm like, hey, bus driver, where am I? And he told me and I didn't know where I was. Well, where did the bus go? It goes to the mall. I'm like, all right. I'm good. I'll go to the mall. So I ultimately learned that route by going to the mall and figuring out where everything was in between. And that experience alone by missing my stop, sometimes you have to get lost to find yourself, uh, taught me a great lesson on how to be curious and how to problem solve. And at that point, I hadn't done dial-a-rider paratransit. It was kind of new. This was 1991. And then prior to that, mom and dad would drive me around and they didn't tell me no to the bus, but they didn't know I could do the bus, even though I was exposed to it in school through O&M training. So again, I had to just get out there and learn my way and, and, and get lost to figure out where my confidence level was and, and, and to get around. I think that experience right there kind of set the stage for, I'm bored. I want to get out of the house. I want to go places. Mom and dad are at work. It's summer. So you got to get there on your own two feet. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you're right. Sometimes getting lost is a good thing. Yes. Um, it doesn't seem it at that moment in time. No. <laughs> but you do. That's one of the ways. I, I wouldn't want to guess how many times I have found my way, some found out a whole area I didn't know about because I've done something very similar. Got on a bus and all of a sudden it maybe dozed off or missed my stop or somehow missed my stop. Right. And ended up four miles beyond where I wanted to be. And 
oh, okay, what's around here while I wait for a bus to going back the other way? Learn more from from that experience. At the time, you don't have a clue what you're going to do, but you just kind of have to have faith in yourself. And I you think know, that's got a lot of it. Terry, I was on a uh, call about a month ago with AFB for their leadership development fellows and mentors, and we were talking about their upcoming AFB leadership conference where you and I uh, met yes. up and, and talked, and they had a whole conversation on this very topic on travel, and they were talking to their persons about, well, how are you going to get around in D.C.? And it, a lot of people who had never traveled a lot before are in this program, so I was one of the panelists, and I talked about owning your travel anxiety. We all have it as blind and low vision people. Why hide it? And why not just talk about it? And I talked about, I have travel anxiety, even for the six uh, travel trips I have this summer, I think about, okay, I haven't been to that airport before. And I, I worry, but I worry in a calculated way. I'm like, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do to break down that worry. How am I going to get through that airport with or without assistance? Uh, because assistance these days at airports are not what they were pre-COVID. And, and I'll be honest. So sometimes you have to use your other skill sets and you have to know where, you know, things are and uh, hotel layouts. Not every hotel I go to this summer is like an ACB convention where you're going to get a, a, a walking description and how many steps are from the pool to the bathroom and, and, and the, you know, the bar. I try to calculate in advance and know who am I going to reach out to and how am I going to get around? Because as much as I travel, I have travel anxiety, but I manage it. And I think that's the important thing to talk about. As well, go for it. I, I absolutely agree with you. Want to give us some of your ideas on that? Do you use some of the internal GP? What do they call internal GPS? The internal navigation apps, or what? What do you do to? prepare for a trip? It's a loaded question. And, and I, I know I brought it up. One of the things I use for just general getting around and, and GPS, just to kind of map out where I'm at or where I'm going is I use BlindSquare. I know we all have our favorite GPS apps. BlindSquare is a little old school. The maps are my, or the uh, destinations, my POI's point of interest might not be updated. But what I do like about BlindSquare is and I think some of the other apps have it, is you can go into simulated mode. So you can go to the Hyatt in Wichita, Kansas, which I will be at in June. And I'll, I'll look around and go, okay, well, here's the street crossings. You know, street names don't change very often, but the, the Starbucks might not be at that corner anymore. But I, I do a simulated walk around of where I'm at. I look at destinations and that, that breaks down one of my travel anxieties. And I, and I start there. And then sometimes I'll call the concierge. I'm, hey, man, I'm coming out there in a week or two. Can you tell me what's around, what's moved? I, I want to just get a little orientation. I, I walk. I don't drive. Sometimes I don't mention that I'm blind or low vision. So because sometimes it'll distract the conversation. So I, I'm, I'm very intentional of how and who I talk to. And that's one of the things I use. And when you use Blind Square with... Google Maps, you get really good, precise walking directions. Um, and, and I like that a lot because I'm going to end up walking somewhere. I'll call the airports or hotels and say, hey, what are my rideshare options outside of Uber and or taxis? Are there shuttles, airport shuttles? So I, I do a lot of research. I do a lot of legwork and, and, that, and I have my files. So at least I know I have six different options to get around. And that really helps me a lot. I want to know what coffee shops are around. Uh, from the amenities in my room. So I, I'm very precise. I'm, I, I can be quote, quote unquote anal, but again, that's how I manage my travel anxiety. Uh, and you ask a lot of questions. And if I know of people who live in town who are blind, hey man, tell me what's going on. What's around downtown? Is that a safe area? Should I be walking there at night with my dog? What neighborhood should I avoid? So if I'm going to be somewhere for three days or longer, I really want to know the lay of the land because I want to get out of the hotel. I want to go to a jazz club at night. I want to experience the town. 
And that's what you really want to do. You know, that's a good point. You want to not just learn your hotel and hibernate for the week that you're there or the three days or something like that. Yes. I have found in my travels that that's always uh, some very good tips. Yes. I do like the idea of you using uh, Square. I do want, you know, folks to ask questions or share experiences in a little bit, but I do want to say that I just learned to be curious at a young age and I, I love to travel. Uh, I love to do trips big and small. And if you fall, if you're on Facebook with me, I do a lot of trips with this organization where I travel for fun. So I talked about business travel and some of the travel things I've done, but for leisure, I like to camp. I like to go outdoors. So you mentioned the four or five star hotels. I can tell you about the four and five star camping experiences. And one of them is Wilderness Inquiry. And they're based out of the Twin Cities. They're a nonprofit and they do all these really cool outdoor camping adventures for people of all ages and all abilities. They, they're very disability inclusive. If you go to their webpage, you'll read it and you'll believe it. And I do these trips where I don't know anybody and I go and I have a blast. So the trip I'm doing in September, which I've done before, is a canoe trip on the Boundary Waters in northern Minnesota. And you just, you get paired up and you go have a blast. You set up a camp. It's very communal and you just, you have a blast and you learn how to get around with new people. It's like going to a convention for the first time and you may not have met you may not know who's there. The same experience on these camping trips. You're just meeting people for the first time and you're in many cases getting out of your comfort zone. And I love it. And it teaches you teamwork and how to build a campfire, how to set a tent and how to canoe, how to paddle, how to communicate. And it's it's a working vacation. But for me, it's getting off the grid because I'm so tied to the internet and email by my job that I look forward to outings like that. So again, it's planning those trips. It's seeing who's out there and I can't do that camping trip by myself and, and rent a canoe and, and everything. So I go with groups where you're meeting up with guides and people and you just have a blast. And then the other things I do is I have lots of friends in ACB. Folks out in Hawaii are like my second family. So at least once a year, I go visit Hawaii uh, folks and the HAB folks, and we all do things together. We go to the beach, walk and talk and take the bus and just learn about culture. And I love it. Fabulous. What is, again, what is the name of the group in the Twin Cities? It's called Wilderness Inquiry. Wilderness Inquiry. And so if you I'm put a dot .org, you, you can go right that, to that. That's a wonderful group. I went with them dog sledding many, many years ago. Oh, it was great. Who is that talking? This is Randy from just south of Minneapolis. Randy, I um, went dog sledding. That was my first expo- second exposure to them. I went dog sledding with them in two- 1991 with a blind group. That's how I was exposed to them because our, our director's like, we're going to go dog sledding. And it was a blast. It was a blast. I'll tell you a funny story. We camped out on our very last night on a frozen lake on these thermal pads. And it was 28 degrees at 10 o'clock at night and five below in the morning we woke up. But we were warm and comfortable. And if you had a lot to a lot of water to drink the night before we're all 16 and you drink your thermos you didn't want to get up at three in the morning and, and you know go <laughs> pee in the bushes so um, some of us had water bottles yeah so but what richard failed to do was listen to the memo at 10 o'clock at night put your boots leave your boots on leave your boots in your sleeping bag well richard put them out by the head of his <laughs> thermos and it, his thermal bed pad and it took him about 45 minutes to chisel through those frozen boots to get on the next morning. <laughs> well, are you ready to take a question or two, Rich? Yeah, let's go. Let's do it. All right. I see Lorraine, uh, Lorraine has her hand up. Thank you. I'm Lorraine from California, and I think this might be the first time on the call. Um, oh, welcome. Thank you. I had signed up in the past for environmental traveling companion, but I had trouble sometimes getting connections because I could get almost to the location, but I'd be within 
like a mile or so, and then I'd have trouble getting the rest of the way and couldn't find, you know, people to hook up with. So it didn't work out, you know, pre-COVID, maybe after I can still do that because I like, you know, being out on the water, kayaking, you know, um, water sports. But um, the other challenge is now that I have like depth perception, like I'm not legally blind, but I'm visually impaired. And um, that's gotten worse with some mobility issues. But my mother now takes paratransit too. So it's like trying to navigate for myself and then help her at the same time. I don't know if you can maybe address the kind that when you have people with multiple disabilities in one trip, what, what did they do about that? Are there some suggestions? So let me start, Lorraine, where are you located in California? Oh, Santa Rosa, Northern California. Okay. There's a um, ETC as well, a, a well and live, and they're very similar to Wilderness Inquiry, but they do a little shorter trips. Email me offline. I can put you in touch with Corey Walker, who's a low vision guy out of the Bay Area who works for them. And they're, they're alive and well, and they do lots of really good outings. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of them. I haven't... Um you know, followed up with them, but I probably need their contacts again. They do Thank sea you. kayaking out of San Francisco, Sausalito to Angel Island, and they do lots of weekend and day trips, and they're they're a blast. I'd love to do that. I've done blind yep. sailing, like the Blind Sailors of Marin before. Mm-hmm. That was they're there fun. too. Great organization. Connie Bateman. Oh, hi, Richard. And hi, hi I'm Terry. So I basically went from low vision to blindness, and then my husband passed away, and he used to drive us around a lot, uh, although I, you know, I try not to ask him to drive me everywhere. But I have to admit, I was some somewhat spoiled, you know. So if we went, so if we went to San Francisco, we drove. If we went, you know, on road trips, he drove. But now that he's gone, I've been to San Francisco three times on the bus alone. Of course, I've had I had lots of help, you know. Um, someone drove me to the bus stop, and then someone was there on the other end to pick me up. But I did get on the bus alone. And that for me, that was huge. Okay. And oh, and I do like, I do love the Blind Square app, even though it's considered old school, because I have used it to find places to eat and yes. certain kind of shops. And, you know, if, if anything, it just gives me an awareness, um, an awareness of, of all the different businesses and places around me. And I like to have that kind of awareness. My next trip is going to be a hiking weekend in June, and it's with a group called Sierra Regional Ski for Light. I'll be there. Uh, oh, yay, <laughs> yay, yay, yay. So yep. they couldn't go. Well, I've, I went cross-country skiing with them years ago, but this year, I guess they couldn't do it because of COVID restrictions and the lack of snow. And so we're going hiking in June. But I told Betsy, I have not hiked for many years so nature walks, that's my speed, nature walks. And she said, okay. So I think we have to do whatever we're comfort, comfortable with, but at the same time, get out of our comfort zones and, yes. and branch out and be adventurous. And I, um, the key, uh, and you've already said this, the key to, to a lot of the traveling is to plan, plan it out, plan in advance. So, so I really like what you did about talking to the concierge at the hotel and asking, hey, you know, what's what's around? I want to go to Starbucks or I want to know what kind of restaurants or shops are around. So yep. that's that's the key, just planning ahead. And that that really en- eliminates a lot of the potential stress. So thanks for this call. This is great. Thank you, Connie. Terry, before you go to the next part, I want to say two things. Yes, about the concierge. And, and remember, guys, this was mentioned on the AFB call. And then it's very true. When you're traveling for convention, you're traveling for fun, and you're, you're meeting all these uh, meet and assist people, hotels, airports, 
they do it because it's their job, but they do it because they, they make ends meet. So make sure you're carrying a bunch of uh, ones and fives around. You got to tip these people. It, it makes a difference. They remember you next time. And it's, it's just something we do. And, and I can't underscore that enough because I think it's, it's important. Uh, the other thing to Connie's point was Sierra Regional Ski for Light. There, there are several organizations in the United States, Ski for Light Incorporated and all the regionals, the Travel Eyes, and there's a Mindful uh, Mind's Eye Adventure. There's a lot of organized groups out there specifically for blind and low vision folks that meet you where you're at to provide you with your travel needs, whether they pair you up with a guide or they do group travel. Uh, sometimes these organizations charge a little more to pay offset the cost of the of the guides they bring on. But again, it's where your comfort level is and what your economic situation is. Yeah, I think you make a very good point there. I've always been a firm believer in tipping. Tipping, I think, is, you're right, they remember you, especially when as much as we value our independence, our independence sometimes isn't quite the same as the independence of their typical traveler. So it's good to, to acknowledge that and in some way or another. And with an extra five is not a bad way at all, but it benefits you both. I, I have found many, many times. The buzzword is independence. We all use it in our language for grants and agency protocols. But, you know, it really, I think what we don't talk about enough is interdependence. Yeah, we all want to be independent, but how do we maximize our interdependence? How do I help you? How do you help me? So we all can get out there and do things. And some of that has to do with getting out of your comfort zone and giving yourself a pep talk when you walk out that door and do that trip, whether it's an hour or 10 days. And just yeah. talking to yourself, say, I got this, I can do it. Minimize those anxieties, minimize those fears. Yeah, I think you're right. Kathy Wood. A couple of thoughts, if I may, just to pick up on the last point with independence. I spent many, many years working, uh, running a center for independent living. And there's a woman whose name some of you may know. Her name is Judy Human. Oh, yeah. uh, she's oh, yeah. not blind. She's got a physical disability. But she is very famous and in developing the independent living movement. And one of her most famous sayings is, independence doesn't mean doing it yourself. It means having control over how it is done. Very, yeah, it is. It's a good point. I've heard you so mention that's, that that's in the past. The other thing that, that I wanted to mention is, uh, and just in terms of travel anxiety and getting out there and doing it, um, I'm somebody with multiple disabilities. I'm low vision, and as a matter of fact, now very low vision. Uh, wake up every morning and wonder, hmm, what am I not going to see today that I saw yesterday? And I've also got cerebral palsy. So it's, it's a challenge. But I will tell you this. the two things. Number one, you, you've, got to, you've got to be in control of your emotions because you're going out there and trying a new route or whatever. Whatever, whatever happens, take a deep breath. Don't panic. You know, stop if you need to stop and just stand where you are until you can figure out what's going on. Do it. But the point is, don't panic and, and, and do get out there and do it. And then my third point, if I may, with Ski for Light and other programs like that, because I, I was the first mobility impaired and visually impaired person that ever skied with the Ski for Light International program. And I, I the, the support that I got was unbelievable. So if you want to get out there and do something, there are people out there who will 
support you and encourage you and assist you. So I guess the buzzword is go for it. I know Ski for Light, I think is still, we've been out of New England for a lot of years, but used to be at least extremely active up in the New England area. Yes. And um, I think it, I think it still is pretty much. Um, they I do got, still have their regional uh, program. I got to say yeah. the best one out there though is um, in my opinion is the Black Hills Regional Ski for Light up in the Black Hills of South Dakota. They it, it's it's a party and then you you turn into a ski event. I mean they it's so much fun. They do downhill skiing, they do contrasty skiing, they do snowmobiling. It's just it's a it's a hoot. It's it's a blast. It's always yeah. the last week in January. Yeah, I know my husband went used to do cross country skiing and snowshoeing with Ski for Light for several years. Katie Friedman. Hi, I I'm Hi. finding this really fascinating. And where do I go to find out, you know, these different places like the Ski for Light and the 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 travel eyes and stuff like that? How do I find those resources? Please visit cclvi.org/resources. We have provided a section on travel. You will find all the links mentioned in this episode. And I have one more question. And that is, um, when you go to places and you said you called the concierge and you you don't announce that you have a vision disability, why don't you? I don't. Let me clarify. Good question. I don't always announce that at first because I'm, sometimes they'll have their bias built in going, well, if you're blind, you might want to do this. They, they That'll distract their thought process. So I want to come to the perspective, I'm just another pedestrian walking around your town. If, if I decide to later say, hey, I'm also a lot blind or low vision. Um, I don't rent a car. I don't drive. Can you tell me if there's a bus stop nearby or if, you're, if your town is transit centric? I might go there, but I really want to point the picture that I'm just another ordinary person. Um, so again, so I can not have to talk about all my disability stuff first and foremost. Okay, thanks. Uh, and that streamlines that, things sometimes. Yeah, and and I was thinking is how can they how can these these resorts offer services for the disabled if they don't know that there's a community that travels? And yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I do when I get to the hotel, whether it's a conference, a blindness conference or just a regular conference is I will have the guy who guy or gal who's uh, going to take me to the room and, and, and get me acclimated. I, I say, here's here's 10 bucks. Can you give me a, a quick overview of the hotel? I'm here in the lobby. What's in front of me? Where's the pool? So I, I want to know what's important to me. Where's the pool? Where's the restaurant? Where's the bar? And where are the elevators? And um, and then from there, I figure it out. Once I get the basic orientation down, I'm good. And I'll, I might spend 10 minutes with them, but it's a 10 minutes worth of their money and my money to say, hey, get, can you just get me pointed in the right direction? And if you set your foundation when you get there, the rest of your trip's going to go easy. Thank you, Richard. Oh, Rich. You, now, when you go, for instance, to Hawaii, you stay with friends there? Or have you done much... Um, Maybe not so much hotel staying, but traveling uh, around the it's sightseeing type travel I'm thinking about. When I go to Hawaii, which I do a lot, I actually do an Airbnb. So that's where you book. It's kind of like Uber, but you book a private home or a condo or an apartment where someone's subletting to you for the time you're there. And mm. uh, it tends to be a little less expensive than your resorts. And uh 
the the um, benefit to that is your your nightly rate is anywhere from seventy five dollars and up, uh, depending on your amenities. You don't get housekeeping. You don't get you know, your hotel your um, towels refreshed every day and your sheets fixed. But you're paying at least twenty to thirty percent less than you would uh, on a, on a resort, if not more. And and those resorts are expensive unless you're going to stay at the best Western at the hotel. So I like that. I get to stay at a, a, at a kind of a condo near the beach. I have a pool on site and I have the beach nearby. And then all my friends live in town. So I'll, I'll take the bus. I'll meet them somewhere. A lot of the folks who live in Hawaii have small homes or, or live in apartments or condos because they're, the cost of living is high. So it's not that they don't want to offer you their couch. It's just they don't have a lot of space. And there's a lot of multicultural families who live together in Hawaii. So there's just not a lot of space, but they'll invite you over. You can hang out and have a beer, but I tend to do my own booking through Airbnb. Now, do you have, have you had much experience with a Airbnb with a guide dog? I actually haven't surprisingly because the times I've been to Hawaii, I've elected to leave my guide dog home. Yes, I can take him to Hawaii with me. I can fill out the extra paperwork. I don't for the very reason that I'm going to be in the pool and at the beach a lot and sightseeing and drinking at the bar and, and just doing casual things where it's going to be hot. I'm going to be out in the sun and I don't want my dog to be in the sun while I'm lounging and it's just not fair to him. So it's his vacation too. So I'll find someone for him at home. That's where you've primarily used Airbnb. I'm trying to think if I've used them in the States and I don't think I have. Um, I know lots of people have. And the thing to be mindful of is they're like Uber. I mean, they're not supposed to deny guide dogs and they, it says on the webpage, but I I've heard of incidents where the Airbnb host is like, I'll let you in. Oh, you have a guide dog. No, I, you can't, you can't stay here. And I don't know how frequent that is. It's, it's probably not as frequent as Uber, but it happens. And I know some of the places where you elect to check yourself in have like a, a keypad, which is not raised. So sometimes there's that you have to like, mm, someone there to be with me, or am I going to use Ira to, to in, you know, enter the passcode to get the, the key and the lock and the safe lock? So there might be some accessibility challenges with Airbnb if the host isn't there to let you in. Because you're not getting a concierge, you're not getting uh, someone to take you up to your room. It, it, you're on your own unless you're, again, traveling with a sighted person who can be your navigator. So, again, you have to plan for those things and, and account for uh, your anxiety. And if you want to master, you know, you want to deal with that. Very good points. Now, for business travel, tell me, do you, do you feel any differences between other than other than the locations? Right. Um Differences between traveling for business, you know, how you in relate, for instance, with the concierge or with the front desk at a hotel or something. Do you find differences when you're traveling for business as opposed to traveling for leisure? Uh, you know, I'll probably think of something later on at, at, at the at, at the offset. No, I mean, I I present myself as the competent traveler that I am and and whether it's business travel or not, unless I need a certain business accommodation, like a, a computer room or a fax thing, or if I'm receiving a shipment to uh, do a conference or something, it, it's just normal check-in, normal conversation with that check-in person, the agent, the concierge, the whomever I'm talking with at the hotel. Maybe there's something there I'm not thinking about, but no, not really. Yeah, I know. I was thinking more, did they draw, you know, did you feel that they maybe drew different conclusions if you had a company credit card that you were putting it on as opposed to 
your own MasterCard. You know, that, no, that I think they draw conclusions when you're like an elite member and you have gold star status and you've been with them for 20 years and they might, you know, uh, bow to you a little more. But no, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's more of like how invested are you in the company as, as, a, as a user of their service versus uh, just, you know, an everyday user. It, it, it's like the perks. It, it comes with the perks. Like if you're a credit card holder and you get all your points with Marriott or something and I'm starting to sign up to get more points for these hotels, but I'm not, I'm not really sold on. I mean, I think my only huge alliance right now is I, everywhere I can, with few exceptions, I'll fly with Southwest Airlines because I have the credit card. I get the points. And I'll, I'll, the reason why I fly with Southwest Airlines is for my dog. It's you, you have open seating. I pre-board and I get that bulkhead every single time. And I don't have to worry about shoving my 80 pound dog, or in this case, my new dog who's 70 pounds under the seat in front of me uh, or have to take his harness off. And a lot of the newer planes have these game consoles or these like um, Wi-Fi things underneath the seat. So there's not as much room as there used to be under the seat to stuff your dog under. So I opt for the bulkhead without having to reserve it or, or buy premium seating as a Southwest person, whether I have points or not, I, I pre-board and that's just almost a given, Any 99% of the time. Let's do area code 614. Okay. Hi, it's Denise in Ohio. And I'm sorry, I want, my question was about airport traveling and I, I don't know if I missed it. Did you already talk about like, mm-hmm. I, I heard the Southwest, that was a great We tip. can still talk about it. What's your question? Your tips for air airports how you navigate airports and did you already talk about that in my mind not really no, but i really can, haven't actually no. and that's a good topic um do you have a like just getting around and, and getting to your gate and stuff yeah yeah what do you do when you get to the airport i breathe and i um i say a prayer <laughs> no <laughs> okay, i get okay. there yep. i i get there early whether i like to or not because um often most of the times I'm going to need a meet and assist. I could do it. Lots of blind people do it solo because they've been to that airport enough. They'll use IRA or they'll use uh, someone who comes with them. But if you're traveling solo, which I often do with or without my dog, I like to get meet and assist. I like to, if I can do curbside check-in, if the airport offers that, I do that because I, I don't have to go in the airport and navigate through the lines or find someone or talk to a, a, a self-check-in kiosk. So the curbside check-in is my first point of contact if possible. During COVID, a lot of them went away, but they're coming back now. Uh, and again, the bigger airports have them. If I can't get there, I'll get to the ticketing desk. And if, unless someone intercepts me, who's like, oh yeah, are you, what airline are you looking for? So I get to the ticket gate and I check my bags. I check, I check my, I ch- you know, get my ticket if it's not electronic. Uh, but either way, I'm still there. And then they get me a meet and assist. And and what I, what I'm gonna say is, um, ask for a meet and assist or ask for a wheelchair, whether you need, want that wheelchair or not. That's this sounds counterintuitive because a lot of us don't want to use wheelchairs if we don't need to. I say the following based on the last six months of travel. Since since post-COVID, more or less, everyone has forgotten how to interact with the blind person in the airport. It's like they going back to 1975. And so they, you just don't get, they don't get blindness. And, and every single time they're bringing you a chair, if, if you ask for a meet and assist, it's like a foreign language. So I said, just bring me a chair. 
I'll talk to the person there and they'll still try to put me in the chair with a guide dog. And I just put my backpack or my <laughs> luggage in the chair and go, all right, let's go. <laughs> and I'm unapologetic about it. And that, that's the thing. You have to be unapologetic sometimes because people are just dumb and I don't want to like, yeah. I don't want to shake them down because they're doing their job. So I'll politely as, as, as politely as I can be without being annoyed, say, Hey, look, let's go. I don't have time. Here's $5. Get me. Can you get me through TSA? Can you show me where the dog relieving area is? Can you show me where the Starbucks is? Because I'm getting there early and I want to get my my munchies before I get on the plane. I, I expect that because that's what they're supposed to do. I almost missed my flight in Midway about two weeks ago because I was waiting there 45 minutes at the uh, gate because they there were like eight of us and they just didn't have people. And I almost used Ira and I was like begging and pleading, guys, I need I need to go. My plane's going to leave in 20 minutes. And that was cutting it shorter than ever, but they're just a lot of the air. And I've been to a dozen different airports in the last six months. And it's just, it's not what it used to be guys. So if you're going to convention this summer, plan ahead. I'm not telling you not to go, just plan a lots of extra time. And I'm it's sincere about that. Did that answer wow. your question, Denise? <laughs> it did. Thank you. Those were amazing yep. tips. Yep. And it was great that that came out about, okay. So things have changed since COVID and I never heard of a meat assist or Iris. So I'm super happy to hear all that. Thank you. Yeah. Mean assist often refers to a non-wheelchair user, but then they, they doesn't get prioritized. They'll bring a wheelchair for all the wheelchair users, but then they're like, we've asked for a meet and assist the airline attendants, the, the, they're like, well, just go to the top of the runway. Someone will be with you in a minute. And then they forget about you. And, and, and it's, it's horrible. So I'm like, you know what, just yeah. bring me a wheelchair. And at least I'll be in the queue. I won't be forgotten. And then I can I can talk them out of the wheelchair or put my luggage on it. And then I don't have to wait 20 minutes because when I get to the top of that runway, hey, I got to pee. And so does my dog. So I'm like, yeah. let's go. And I don't want to wait another 30 minutes for somebody. So I'm not trying to be a prima donna, but I'm trying to be an advocate <laughs> within yeah, reason. And you're right. That's what you have to do because it is their job and they're supposed to do it. And unfortunately, you just have to force them to do it. And when you get older like me and I'm in my late 40s, you, you, you grow a little thick skin. You don't care. And you're like. I'm an unapologetic. When I was younger and shy and bashful, I would wait around. Now I'm like, no, nah, you know what? I, I business trip or not, I, I can't wait around. Good for you. That is fantastic information. Thank you so much. Thank you. Go ahead to Larry. You can unmute Larry. Good evening, all. On this issue with the uh, what do you do in the airport? One thing I would, uh, if you travel frequently by air. Get, get TSA pre-check. Yes. TSA pre-check puts you on a much shorter, much faster line where you don't have to take off your shoes or take off your belt or take your, your, your laptop out of your suitcase. And the other thing I, I'd like to uh, suggest, prior to uh, going to the airport, call TSA a day or two before you go to the airport and register for TSA CARES. TSA CARES, you tell them what flight you're going to be on, what terminal you're going to, etc. And hopefully uh, they have the manpower available. They will call you two and a half, two, two hours, 15 minutes before your flight's departure time to see if you're at the airport yet and yeah. they'll meet you at the door or meet you at the uh, TSA area and help you get through the line. I don't like to be at the airport any longer than they have to, but in these days you kind of have to. That's why I take advantage of the amenities, uh, the Wi-Fi, the Starbucks, the bar, whatever. I just, I want to know where I'm at because 
unfortunately I have to be there to be at my gate to, to pre-board and, and to get where I want to be. And the other thing I want to say is if you are in the digital age, try to get on, on with your airlines and get them to send you text messages on like the buses and trains do if your plane's going to be late. So if you haven't left the airport and you have, and you're not like saying taking paratransit, you can, you can delay your arrival a few minutes and not have to be there as long. Cause you know, who wants to be at the airport for six hours if your plane's delayed and, and if you're coming from home. Richard. Yes. What other good tips have you got us for airports? Find the bar. <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> um, let, let the let the bartender and the airline stewardess look at take a good look at your dog. So I'll tell you a funny story, and then I'll I'll answer your questions on buses and train, you know, planes and trains and automobiles. <laughs> Three weeks ago, this uh, coming Saturday, I was flying from Louisville to Washington D.C. for the AFB Leadership Conference. We took off. Great. Got over to Indianapolis and we had to turn around because Midway wasn't landing us because of thunderstorms and, you know, tornado warnings, right? Who wants to land in the tornado? So we go back to Louisville and, you know, I'm not home. I'm in like, I'm where at work is going to AFB. So I'm on the middle of a 10 day work trip and I'm like, really? And so I just got real friendly, like with the pilot and the stewardess. Every you could get off the plane, but you couldn't get back on the plane until it was call time. And you could be there from 20 minutes to six hours, which we were there for six hours. And I'm like, well, the plane's got to go. You can't take your luggage off. We don't know if we're going to go. So I got friendly with the pilot and stewardess. Like 20 people got off the plane. About 40 of us stayed on the plane. Um, and so I just hung out and everyone asked their questions. When you get back, well, I'm a seasoned traveler. I'm going to let them do their thing. They're all, you know, airline attendants. They just get the brunt of why are we landing? Why can't we land in the thunderstorm? Why can't we land in the tornado? I'm like, just stupid questions. And <laughs> so the pilot comes out to us. Well, you're being nice and calm. Well, yeah, well, I've been to this before. So I'm like, calm. Can you, my dog needs to pee. Oh, I can walk him out on the runway. So she ends up walking my dog out on the runway twice in the like six hour span. We're on the ground, whatever you have to roll with it. So we get into Chicago, we take off, but we miss everyone misses their connections. We get there at like 1130 at night. My book rebooked flight is not until six in the morning. Southwest is like, well, it's weather issues. We can't accommodate you unless it's mechanical. So you're on your own. You're stuck in the airport overnight because they liked my dog and they liked my calm demeanor. The pilot's like, you're not staying here. I'm, I'm pulling some strings. You're going to come to the hotel with us, the flight crew who has also was redirected and they weren't redirected for 20 hours. They had, they had to be stuck in Chicago for 20 hours. So I ended up going back to the hotel with them for five hours. They get me a room, but the room isn't running when I get there at two in the morning. So they pull out a bottle of bourbon. You know, you want to have a drink with us while you're waiting for your room. And by the way, we have, we've been on the road since 5 a.m. yesterday. We're hungry and everything's closed. We're ordering pizza. You want some pizza? So then one of the stewardesses, hey, can I walk your dog out? Sure. And so I, it, it, again, it was just making conversation, being calm in situations where you're uncertain, you're out of control and people are going to love up on you and your dog. And it was just a blast. And I got in my room for an hour. I took a nap, took a shower and got back on that shuttle at four in the morning and off to DC I went. But I'd rather have had fun and stay up all night and then sit and sitting around the airport with nothing open. Absolutely. So it's your demeanor. It's your, it's your, um, I know times right now, it's just how you, how you handle situations that are out of your control. Um, and it's it just, it's fun. It can be fun. I know I got stuck up in, I forget where I was, Grand Rapids, I think it was. Cause I did a lot of traveling when I worked for ACB. Yeah, you did. I, and I think I was, I was up in Grand Rapids. They were, Oh, is, we, we've got, we have to put you up overnight. And all of this, uh, they canceled the flight. The flight was canceled, allegedly because of a 
some kind of a mechanical problem. I ended up with the with the with the flight crew as well. What it was was they didn't have enough people to make it worthwhile moving, taking the lifting the plane off. Yep. There were only two of us that were taking out, off out of there that night. Oh, they they just combined you onto the next one, and we did. We had a, I had a very nice time with them. I don't remember any bourbon and pizza, but we had a good time. <laughs> it was fun. Have you run into done much much on trains and, and buses? Um, I, I know I, we're running short. Yeah, on. Uh, the quick answer is I've done trains from Denver to California, California to Chicago, the Zephyr. I've taken my dog, my last dog on a couple of the trips, and they give you enough breaks so you can take your dog out. Amtrak's really accommodating with your dog. Uh, and you, I got like a mini sleeper car. That was cool. Um, I don't do Greyhound. I think it's just sick and disgusting and it's gross and it, it smells is. like urine. And I, I would rather walk or, or hitchhike. I mean, I took it four years ago and, and it was just not fun. So I, unless there's nothing else, I will. But I, uh, if you can get Megabus or Flixbus and they're they're kind of around, they pop up and down. They, they kind of went away during the pandemic. There's some of their online booking isn't great, but they're, I love them and they serve guide dogs and it's just more of a European style of travel. So look at Flixbus and Megabus and I can put that in the travel notes too. I haven't, I haven't run into that one before. It, it, it's not a Greyhound. So you, you basically get picked up at the side of a road, like at, a, like at an Amtrak uh, station. Like the, yeah, every, yeah. I don't even know what it's called here. I, everybody always seems to refer to it as the Chinese bus company. And I have no idea what the real name of it is. Um, but it, it's that type of thing that goes yeah, between here and It's not a brick York. and mortar. You, you get picked up at a, at a bus stop, literally yeah. a bus stop in rain or shine. Yeah, that's why it's they're cheap. That's why they're cheaper because there's no. Yeah, building. it's like ten dollars or fifteen dollars from here to New York. All and right. you have to use your phone to book the ticket, so you have to have a mobile ticket. Yeah, Terry, we got to do this again. It was fun. We do. And, this yeah. has been great fun. I want to thank you so much for joining me tonight with this, and let everyone know next month the current plan is to have a low vision specialist who's going to be talking about a lot, uh, some new products that are around and just taking people's questions. He's a wonderful low vision specialist here in the DC area, but I want to thank you all for joining us this evening and bid you all a safe week. And thank you again to Richard. Thanks to Anthony for streaming us on media five this evening Mm -hmm. And thanks to Allison for hosting with me. And have a great night, one and all. Thank you for joining us on CCLVI's Let's Talk Low Vision. Visit our website for this episode and more episodes of Let's Talk Low Vision, cclvi.org. This podcast was sponsored by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International, an affiliate of the American Council of the Blind.